Now it's time for Inspirational Women. Having peace around the idea of money and finances might have been a goal or resolution we set or considered setting for this new year. It's a biggie, and I think we agree that it is an important one. But it is something that can easily overwhelm us. So as the new year is freshly begun, we have this wonderful opportunity to meet Donna Skeel Saigon, a certified financial planner and an author of the book, The Joy of Financial Security, and discover some new ways to think about money and budgets and savings. So, ready to get inspired? Good morning, Donna Skeel-Sagan. It is so great to have you back with us once again and talking about money and finances. Thanks, Kate. It's great to be with you. So here we are just into the new year, and it's quite likely some of us, maybe many of us, have made that resolution. We're going to really work with a budget and stick to it this year, and uh, perhaps a month into it, we find, oh my goodness, it's such a challenge. And you have a fresh, a new insight for us to work with this, Donna. I do. Um, That insight is really just to kind of change our perspective and our focus So instead of thinking that, oh, my gosh, I have got to start sticking to a budget, we can turn that around and say, let's focus on saving instead. And so the reason that I feel strongly about that is that a budget feels like deprivation. It feels like a diet to me where I think, okay, I'd really like pizza today, but I can't have pizza, you know, and a budget is very much like that. Whereas if we focus on the savings and look at what we're saving now and then work to increase it and make it automatic, it actually takes care of the budget because now we're saving enough. And if we're saving enough, we don't have to worry at all about the budget. And what's really interesting to discuss this and the way that you present it, you have your book, The Joy of Financial Security, really helps us to get a good understanding of all of what you just said about the attitude, about how we need to have a mindset and how that actually operates. And then looking at saving versus budgeting. Uh, There are all these great details in your great book, The Joy of Financial Security. So let's look at that aspect of saving and how perhaps that's uh, something that we find that we struggle with, that there's maybe too much month left at the end of what's available in the bank account. How do we approach saving? Well, I think the first thing that we need to do is to sit down and calculate how much we're saving right now. And so most people don't know how much they're saving. Hopefully they're saving through their employer's retirement plan if they have that available. So that would be a 401k or 403b. And you can figure out, you know, you're putting X dollars into that each month. You don't even miss it because it never comes into your paycheck. And then you would divide that by your income and you'd say, okay, maybe I'm saving 4% in my 401k. And am I saving anywhere else? So there's actually uh, tools on my website, which is at www.joyoffinancialsecurity.com. And if someone goes to the website and then they go to resources and then tools, they'll find all kinds of different um, tools to use. But one of them is a savings calculator. So you can actually fill in the chart. How much are you putting into that 401k? Are you funding a Roth? Are you setting aside a little bit in a taxable account each month? And you add that up. And a lot of people are not because, as you said, You know, we get to the end of the month and there's nothing left. And so I think the key is to say, 
okay, it's working fine with my 401k if that's available. I want to do the same thing, let's say, with a Roth IRA. And in my opinion, a Roth IRA is the most valuable investment account we can all have. And so the new year is a great time to open a Roth and just start saving $50 a month and make it automatic. Set it up with the brokerage firm that they will just sweep that out of your checking account at the beginning of each month or $100 or $200, whatever you think you can afford. And so you set it up and you get it started. You don't miss it. And then the wonderful thing about saving is that it actually gets easier because you start to see the accounts accumulate. You realize you really don't need that money and you can increase it. Um, and so it's one of those habits that, that gets easier once we start it. And what's important, of course, we're doing this for ourselves, but if we have children, doing this to model for them can't be any greater lesson that we could give them. You know, I agree so much with that statement. I think that um, one, of the, one of the questions I get more, I think, than any other question when I speak to groups and they ask questions at the end, is how can I teach my kids about money? So we're all concerned about how can we be a good role model? And this is a perfect example because then you discuss it with the kids. You say, you know, I save in my 401K. I'm now opening a Roth. And, and you teach the kids how important saving is. And the goal is to save at least 15% of our income, and that's our gross income before taxes are taken out, and if possible, to even get that up to 20%. And if we can get our kids started with that kind of a concept, um, it actually does sink in. <laughs> and with teenagers, you know, we never know for sure, but they are listening, and it's a really great way for a parent or a grandparent to become a great role model for, for the kids. So we see that this is really so invaluable, not just that it's for ourselves, which is important, but uh, what the kind of legacy and uh, important path that we're laying out for our kids. Right. And the reason I named the book The Joy of Financial Security is that we all want financial security. We want to know that we're going to be just fine for the long term and we're not going to have to worry about money. So that's the ultimate goal, I think, in my mind. But the book is all about the relationship between money and happiness and how if we have a healthy relationship with the money and we use it as a tool, we don't worship it, we don't set it on a pedestal, um, we just use it as a tool then it actually can lead to happier lives and a really um, healthy attitude towards money and financial security. Because we need to realize that just having an abundance of money doesn't necessarily equate to having happiness in our life. I, I very much agree with that statement as well. I know a lot of people who... I would consider to be very wealthy, and they're very unhappy. So I don't think money buys happiness. It definitely doesn't guarantee happiness. But if it's used properly, it can. It has wonderful benefits, and so it can lead to greater happiness. Exactly, in, in terms of how we use it. So uh, one of the things you mentioned in terms of saving, you know, we should be doing 15%, ideally moving to 20%, and yet it doesn't seem all that long ago that the thought was, you know, put aside 10%, divide it into those 10s, but uh, there's a good reason to be looking at the higher number these days. Yes, and the reason is that pensions are kind of going the way of the dinosaur. So it used to be that a lot of um, 
workers could rely on a pension when they retired, and those are going away. Very few people have them, and, and when we look at younger people, even fewer will have them when they get ready to retire. So we have to cover much more of the responsibility of funding our retirement. And Social Security, <clears throat> I happen to think Social Security is very safe and that our government will tweak it a little bit so that it's still there for the younger generation, but it's still a little bit of a question mark. And so the onus is on us to put more emphasis on savings so that we're not relying on these other sources of revenue or sources of income when we retire. And that, that again, is where it's so important to demonstrate this for our children and get them saving at a young age because getting that uh, little investment pocket, that investment account started at a young age really begins to just be a habit, as you mentioned, Donna, and and it will grow unbelievably over the decades. Right, and it teaches them the concept of saving. So for really young kids, I love the idea, if you give them an allowance at a really young age, and I'm thinking age four, five, six, you teach them to divide that. Um, And in my family, when my kids were really young, we literally had mason jars, and we had three of them. So one is for spending immediately if they want to buy candy or a toy. One is for saving, and that's that's the long-term saving to teach them that concept. And one is for charity, for them to give to whoever they decide, you know, they think is, is needing that money so that we teach them to um, be generous with others who are less fortunate than us. And then as they become teenagers, um, they have larger allowances and, and maybe they're heading off to school. And then that's WIC to college. That's when we really need to teach them um, the concept of saving when they get, do get their first job or they have a summer job. Roth IRAs are wonderful for young people once they have income. They can fund it. And the beauty of the Roth is that even though the teenager may not be um, able to fund it. They simply don't have the money. A parent or a grandparent can fund it on their behalf. And so you can fund this Roth based upon how much the teenager is earning and how much goes on that tax return. And then the, the teenager will see it growing. And then once they can fund it themselves, they keep it going because you've started it for them. So it is important, regardless of the age of our children, to teach them these concepts. Exactly. And and thinking of them starting these accounts at the young age and uh, going back to the conversation we had during the holiday time, if we are going to gift our kids potentially with money, this is a way that they can use that to fund their account as opposed to having more things which, uh, you know, get kind of stuffed in the back of the closet. Yes, definitely. And then that opens up a whole other topic that we could talk about, which is that the psychology research shows us that having more things in our lives, all of the materialistic things we tend to have, does not bring us happiness. And so another one of my messages that I feel so strongly about is how we need to stop trying to keep up with the Joneses. We don't need a new car. We don't need another big screen TV. Um, I decided last fall I didn't need any clothing for three months, and that was interesting. And, you know, I didn't feel deprived. I had plenty of clothes in my closet. So things like that where we say, okay, we're just going to take our focus away from stuff and spending 
and put it on other things that truly do make us happier, which are our relationships with our friends and our family and nurturing our creativity and and focusing on gratitude and leading a healthy lifestyle. All of those things, there's plenty of psychology research that shows they have a huge impact on our happiness. And if we could quit focusing on the things and the clutter in our lives, I truly think we'd be happier, we'd be spending far less money, and we'd be, um, our finances would be healthier. And that's where it's just so intriguing. There's just so many different angles to this, as you mentioned, the word clutter. So often we're really throwing away our money. Oh, we need to as you use the term, follow the herd, we need to get that new thing, but then we don't use it and it just contributes to clutter. Then we're unhappy because we're just surrounded by stuff and uh, it bogs us down. Yeah, it has a huge impact, I think, on our lives, much more than most people realize. Um, So we just worked our way through the holidays and, you know, often gift buying just gets out of hand and there's the frenzy of the holidays and all the spending, 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 and all the credit cards make it so easy for us just to whip out that credit card. And then in January, people get this huge credit card bill, which is, you know, not a nice surprise. And, and then someone told me recently that they asked their kids and their grandkids what she had purchased, what she had bought for them the prior Christmas as a gift, and none of them can come up with one example. And so she said, you know, I'm just not going to do it anymore. I have to go down another path. Quit buying all these gifts. Quit buying all this stuff that we just tend to buy on impulse and and just decide we're not going to do that anymore. Exactly. Major, major message there. And you mentioned, Donna, the psychology so you spend, you spent and do spend in the book a, a great deal of time, of focus, an attention to the brain and the psychology, which I think gives this book, the, the Joy of Financial Security, kind of this different uh, feeling, a different way for us to really feel comfortable and get a better understanding of what's going on. So I, I feel that this is really I- invaluable information. Well, thank you. Um, it is true that what sets the book apart from personal finance books and there are thousands of those, and I didn't want to write one of those, is the emphasis on the psychology and and what strategies can we use to become happier? How can we have that healthy relationship with our money? Um, How can we get started on the right track? There's The second half of the book is full of personal financial um, principles on on getting started with saving and and good debt versus bad debt and... um, all kinds of issues, how you set up an investment account and how you decide what should be in it. That's all in there in the second half. But the first half is all based on psychology research, neuroscience, economic research. And and the, the reviews have said that's what makes this book truly unique is that that kind of a book really, I, I'm not familiar with it being out there. Um, it was just something that I wanted to dive into because nobody had really answered this question about does money buy happiness. And there were lots of people who felt it does or it doesn't, but they were only opinions. There wasn't much depth. And so I really dove into the research for six years and came up with what I think is um, very practical and how people can actually look at their money differently, treat it differently, manage it wisely, spend it wisely, and become happier. 
And added to that, it's important to note that it's written in very understandable language. It's really like us having a conversation. It's not heavy financial jargon and and lots of tables and statistics that we can easily get lost. So, no, it's not that kind of book. It really uh, is really in a lot of ways reads like a story. Well, thank you. You know, I appreciate that comment. And I did include a lot of stories. Um, I had several people read it early on, and they said more and more stories. People love, you know, the actual stories of how this applies to real people. And so there are stories in there that my clients have shared with me, um, and there are stories of, of my background as well. And, for instance, let me just give you an example. One of the sections talks about the money messages we learned as children, and those money messages that we tend to learn from our parents and our grandparents which is very similar to what we were talking about before, how we want to be a good role model for our kids, Um, those money messages are deeply ingrained in us, and they often um, determine how we treat money today. So if someone is super frugal, maybe over-the-top frugal, that's probably um, a reflection on how they were raised. Or they can't, they can't manage money. They spend it immediately. They're very impulsive. That's probably a reflection on how they were raised. So there's a section in there on what were those money messages that we received as children because it's not something we would normally think about. And then thinking, okay, was that a healthy money message? Is that a good thing that taught me, you know, good good um, habits in terms of my money, or is it something I need to lay on the table and deal with and change so that I'll make better decisions going forward? And there are, there are stories in the book about my grandmother being the person who influenced me when it comes to money, and I hadn't really realized it until I took the time to really ponder some of the things she had done that had a huge influence on me, but I didn't realize it for 40 years down the road. And that's where there's such a gift here that uh, the questions are actually right there. We can use this as a journal if we choose, or we can just reflect on it if that's what makes us comfortable, I guess. But there's a way to really analyze this personally and maybe then discover why we're handling money the way we do, have a great aha moment, and be able to take a turn in the road to going in a better direction. Right, right. And the stories that are in there for my clients, just to give you an idea, first of all, I only have 40 clients and I'm not accepting new clients. And so I did not write the book hoping to attract new customers. Um, I wrote the book to help individual consumers and individual investors with these concepts. Um, But I've learned so much from my clients over 16 years. And most of them are what, uh, they're definitely middle class. They're people that tell me these stories about how poor they were as children and how they started saving, and, and now they have large quantities of money. They are very financially secure, and it's not because it was passed down to them or given to them. It's because they were saving, and so that's just a key issue. Um, but I do have stories like that. I have a story in there about a woman who's one of my clients who she was a teacher her entire career, an audiologist, actually, at the public school system. And she worked with kids who had hearing problems and speech problems. And one day she noticed a new child in class, and it turned out they were from – this little boy was from a family in Afghanistan who had just moved to Albuquerque. And 
she was interested in the fact that, of course, he spoke no English, and they're trying to put him in an English-speaking class. And she volunteered to start working with him. And as the story unfolds, it ended up that his family invited her over, and then she, she jokes that she adopted them. She has this wonderful relationship with them, and she helped them as they um, settled into Albuquerque, and they had to learn things like the tax system and, and just so many things that we take for granted. And, and now she has helped those kids go through college. They're very successful, and, and yet they didn't speak any English when they came here. So she talks about how that opportunity to volunteer just evolved. And my comment in the book is if, if one of us were faced with that situation, knowing that we're going to help this little boy and it may turn into a 20-year commitment, you know, I think we'd run the other direction. And yet in her case, she says, you know, they have just enriched her life. So there are stories like that about how we can be charitable and, and what can make us happier. Exactly. And there, yes, it's, it's really difficult to unravel all the gifts that are contained in something like that. And it doesn't take money to do that sort of thing. Uh, it, taking advantage of it, uh, of opportunities that come our way, is one way to build that a different kind of wealth within us. Right. It takes the focus away from money, which I think our society has far too much focus on money. And um, there's another comment, if I can just throw yes. something else in. You know, I mentioned keeping up with the Joneses, and you mentioned following the herd, and that's all that same idea where we feel this pressure to constantly be buying more and spending more. Um, but Denmark is often considered the happiest country in the world, and on the latest study, the U.S. was actually number 17. Um, but one of the differences between Denmark and the U.S. is that the people in Denmark do not value standing out in a crowd. So they would look down upon having a flashy new car or designer clothing, and they want to all blend in. And so as a result, they don't have the pressure to spend. They don't have all the clutter in their lives, and they focus more on family. And so that story to me is, is brings optimism that the fact that we're going down this path with all of this um, materialism is it's not uh, something that we've inherited. It's not genetic in any way. It's our society forcing us down that path. And I would love for us to see, to start kind of a movement um, to say we're going to change that path and we're going to go down a healthier path where we do look at the fact that volunteering or being charitable is very important for a well-rounded and a happy life. And, you know, developing our, our creativity, most of us would never take the time to sit down and uh, take an art class or sit down and write a poem or something, but those things can enrich our life. And then one thing that has had a lot of research is focusing on gratitude. So I just think we need to take our, our focus away from money, recognizing that money is very important, but it needs to be kept in its place. And these other things are much more important. Exactly. And I think the other byproduct that really is important here, we, got, we looked at it in terms of our own personal space and the clutter that happens with stuff, but we think of it in terms of our world, of our planet, and all the resources and limited resources and how demanding more 
depletes a lot of resources. And are we needing to really do that? You know, how does that affect our life overall? You know, I think that that's very true. We're damaging our planet, you know, definitely in many, many ways. If we were buying fewer things, um, it would be a nice thing to do to our planet. If we had fewer things in our life, um, last year, 2014, I cleaned out my kitchen. Now, most people would think that's not a big task, but I spent a weekend cleaning it out and sending a whole bunch of stuff to Goodwill, and it felt really good. So now when I come in my kitchen, you know, it's not cluttered. And my goal this year is to attack the closets. And so some people have the time to do a lot and make great progress. I'm doing it in really tiny little baby steps, but it feels so good to get rid of all of that clutter. And it does impact our planet. It also impacts, I think, everything about us because it can carry over into our to-do list. Um, There's a book called 168 Hours that talks about how we all have 168 hours each week and we choose how to spend those. So if we work from 8 to 5, you know, that that time is pretty much – We don't have any flexibility on that. And if we have young kids, we need to get them to school and fix meals. But even after you plug in all of those commitments, there are usually large blocks of time that we do have control over. So they may be in the evening. They may be on the weekends. And that's where we can say, you know, I want to go out and take a a walk rather than sit in front of the TV for two hours. Um, I want to take a hot bath. I want to read a book. I want to spend time with my kids. Those are the kinds of things where we have choices, and yet it requires change, really small changes. But it does require us to kind of step back and say, wait a second, you know, I'm on this path. I call it the rat race treadmill. We're all on. It's so hectic. I want to step back and make some changes. I want to look at this with a fresh eye and see what can I do to make my life happier. Uh, It's really what it comes down to. And that's what I feel that the joy of financial security allows us to take a look at. I think we've been touching on parts of it this morning in having this conversation, that as we're looking at financial security, it's not about having to work more and make more money. We can do it wherever we're at in how we choose to use that money and how we decide on that saving, as opposed to the budgeting, saving it and what we can accomplish that way. That's exactly right. And my clients would be, you know, the best example of that, where they do tell me these stories about being so poor and then um, starting to work and saving. And as I said, I think the key is savings. If, If people never get around to saving, then they're not going to be financially secure. It's really that simple. But if they can just start saving $50 or $100, whatever they can afford, and there are ways to free up the cash to do that. I mean, one is to say, for instance, I said, we are not buying any more soda at the grocery store, and I'm not buying junk food, and we're not eating out quite as often. There are ways to cut back on the spending that then frees up that $50 or $100 a month to send to an investment account. And, and it actually, it's all very positive. It all works together because you realize you didn't need those things. Now you're saving. You're on the right path. Then you start to look at simplifying your life and not having all these materialistic things you don't need. And it really becomes very powerful. So it's exciting. 
And using that example, that's such a great example, is the soda pop and, and the junk food, which we can spend oodles of money on. But taking that out of our spending and taking it out of our what we consume is going to make us healthier physically. It's true. And for, for my family, my husband and I, our kids are not out of the house, but um, eating out becomes a problem. Even if I try to save half of it for lunch the next day, I know we're getting way too many calories and we're spending too much money. And so we've decided at least two nights a week we're going to make a nice, healthy meal. And then other nights we might just have a soup and salad or we might eat out. But again, it's a matter of saying, how can we change this picture? How can we improve this? So we will be healthier, we will be happier, and and simplify our lives. Exactly. Well, uh, you have certainly uh, presented so many wonderful insights, and I feel that they're just simple ways. They're not like these huge, almost impossible strategies to accomplish. We can start wherever we are with whatever we can manage and just develop that habit, as you said, Donna. Yes, and, and... You know, I mentioned the tools on the website, but I encourage your listeners to go to the website and look at those tools. First of all, there's all kinds of information. We've tried to load the website with helpful information. So even on the homepage, there's an article on the right on how do you talk to your kids about money. There's Chapter 8 of the book, which is all on wise tax strategies, which are pretty important right now, is on there. And then if you go to that Resources tab and Tools tab, that's where you find all these things. And the money messages we talked about, they're on there. Um, So I encourage people just to surf around the website and take advantage of all those tools. And then also they can contact me with any questions. I'm always available. And so let's mention the web address once again. Okay. The website is... um, simply joyoffinancialsecurity.com, www.joyoffinancialsecurity.com. And I also welcome feedback. When I say I'm always available, I do work full-time, but I mean I'm eager to respond to your listeners' questions. If they get stuck on something and they have a question, they should just email me or call me, and I'd be happy to help. Oh, that is so generous. Very kind, Donna. This whole time together this morning, this half hour, has been just so informative and really such a great gift. And if we've strayed off what we wanted to do this year in this particular vein, then I think this has been a a great help, some great tools for us. So I thank you so greatly for all that information and for taking time with us this morning. You're so welcome, Kate. Thanks very much for having me on your show. My pleasure. And with that, we are at the end of a very full hour of Inspirational Women with Donna Skeel-Sagan and Sunday Morning Magazine with James Kilgore. I'm Kate Daniels, your host, and I so greatly appreciate your sharing this hour with me and these special guests. For details you might have missed or information you would like to know, please just send me an email, kated at warm1069.com, and I will get right back to you. Also, if you'd like to listen again or share these important stories with your family and friends, Find the podcast. It's on our Warm 106.9 webpage. Simply click on the On Air tab, then look for the show and guest names. I now wish you and your family a day of considering how social consciousness plays out in your life. Have a week of the same, and please plan to join me again next weekend on Warm 106.9, the station that lifts you up and makes you feel good. Good morning.